the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Tyson, it's so funny. We don't do any recordings for weeks at a time. And then today we're doing five or six. I like this model, but I do enjoy also spending the whole day with you. The same. It's interesting. So the first show we did, this is our third of the day. And the last one we were guests, but the first one, you had to take a second to kind of remember how to say things because it's been about a month. And so it is interesting how it works every time we do it. I like the way we do it. We can knock out a bunch in a day and it's easier for scheduling and everything. It is sometimes like I kind of miss talking to you. Luckily, we have the, the Saturday show that we can talk to each other in the guild. So that, that helps supplement my need. I'm excited about our guest today. He raised an interesting question and you and I were going to do a solo episode. And then I thought, well, hey, why not just have him on to discuss his firm and his practice? He's a member of the guild. His name is Jeremy Danielson, and we're glad to have him. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you, Jim and Tyson. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Uh, if we can help other members of the Guild and uh, other attorneys, then I'm excited to be a part of it. So, Jeremy, before we get to that, though, tell people um, who you are, what you do, and uh, a little bit about your journey. All right. Uh, Jeremy Danielson lives outside of Des Moines, Iowa, and run a residential real estate transactions uh, law practice with my wife. I'd be considered the CEO. She's the COO. And we have two other team members as well. So... Started in 2015, kind of had a reset in 2019 for reasons we may or may not get into. And then uh, it's uh, growing now. It's time to, we've got the systems and processes in place. It's time to start growing. Well, let's get into the reset. That sounds intriguing. What happened? Well, in 2019, I probably learned one of the most valuable lessons as a business owner to diversify your referral sources. Uh, January 19, we lost our primary referral source. That was 85% of our business. So Sarah and I had to make a really hard decision. It was just her and I at the time, Sarah being my wife. Do we keep doing this, building this thing that we've been working on for four years or start building it really? Or do I go get a job with another firm? And we made the hard decision to start over basically. And now we probably have 18 to 20 referral sources. We've added two team members and red poised for a big year this year. Jeremy, what was it like when you got that call that you were losing the client? And then what did you do immediately? Because we actually had someone 
in the guild at the mastermind, I don't know if you were in their group or not, but the, the exact same thing happened to them in the exact same kind of practice area. So any advice you would have for them as they're in those weeks after you got that call, what advice would you have for them or what, what did you do? Sarah and I, we got on the phone with our coach. I got 30 days notice from the client that they were taking their business to a bigger firm. So we had a little bit of lead time, but we had to figure out how we were going to get the message out that we were going to stay in business, that we wanted to help more people. And we probably initially started saying yes to more work outside of this niche for a small period of time, doing some wills, doing some entity formation for real estate investors, and quickly learned we were able to keep it stable. But uh, it was probably an initial focus right on marketing efforts, just trying to get... We, we did a postcard mailing campaign. We did... That's when we probably started our newsletters in earnest, just monthly newsletters, but just to start to get the word about us because we... We were tied so closely in our market to that one referral source. We needed to show we were an independent law firm that could help more than that one type of business. That was really the beginnings of getting that message out. I think this can be a really valuable lesson to listeners. So can you talk a little bit about how you got yourself into that bind? Because I think that might be the lesson though. Like, yeah, getting out of it's one thing, but talk about what led you to that bind. Yeah, I graduated law school December of 11. And my first job was as a corporate counsel for a commercial real estate company. And I was there a couple of years and made a decision to make a change from that firm or that company because they weren't growing. So I opened my own law firm, understanding this referral source was going to be my primary source of business. But I honestly, I, I became content. I had enough business to create a job for myself. In those first few years, that started in 2015. After a couple of years, I was, my wife got tired of seeing me work till midnight. So she started helping me and... And so we had enough revenue to pay for, take care of our family, but I didn't challenge myself to diversify, to help other people because I just assumed all of that business would always keep coming in for the rest of forever. I didn't, we didn't do it when we lost business. It wasn't because of any fault of our own. And that was probably the biggest assumption or mistake I made is if we did good work that we would keep getting that business. And that's not always the case. That's an excellent point. So how did you then start beating the bushes to get up to 20 referral sources like you have now? I think the one good thing that came out of those first four years is that we were really communicative as a real estate firm, which is communication is the most important in transactional work. And we had a good reputation with other attorneys, other closing agents in the market. So when we were able to get the message out that we were open for business and independent, people started taking chances on us. And really what we, what we did, and I give Sarah a lot of credit for this, is she asked for business. One lender... One loan officer took a chance on us and said, I still want to use this closing agent, but can we do our title work with you? I said, absolutely. He wanted to work with a local attorney because his attorney was in a different part of the state. And he took a chance on us and that uh, allowed us to get some of that work. And then we could slowly start to pursue more lead sources like that. And it's been a little bit at a time over those four years or so that we've just... You have to ask for the work. It's not going to come to you magically. So it's really interesting that you bring this up because we did a, a training... Our weekly training in our firm yesterday was about like how can we generate referrals, right? So how can employees generate referrals? It was a fun little presentation. But one of the the tips that I had, I had read somewhere was that you know making sure you ask for it. And for injury stuff, it's pretty uncomfortable. I, I don't know. It's kind of it's for me. It kind of feels weird to ask for referrals. Can you give some advice to people on like asking for referrals, like what that's like? I mean, and I know my business is different than yours, but I, I'm, I'm sure we can still utilize that tool. I think, well, credit where credit is due. Sarah's better at that than I am. She is fearless when it comes to socializing, networking, and asking people to help them. 
but her primary play is differentiating us, telling these potential referral sources how we do things differently. Our number one focus is creating a, a client experience, whether it's for the loan officer, for the realtor, for the closing agent, for the buyer or seller. So tell them how we're doing things differently from other law firms in the market. And because we're doing things differently, that makes a light bulb go off or that, that it piques their curiosity and then they want to hear more. And that gives you an opportunity to have a more in-depth conversation. So I think it's important to show how you're different or, or want to do things better than the traditional model in whatever area of practice you're in. As we segue into the question that you wanted to raise, Jeremy, talk to us a little bit about how legal work gets completed at your firm. So Danella is our legal assistant. She is the voice of the firm. She's our intake specialist. That's the first person that anybody talks to when they call. And we have everything run through our CRM. So from the time a person calls, they will talk to Danella. Five minutes after they call, they get an automatic test message that says, thank you for reaching out. Here's a link to our five-star reviews to see what some recent clients have said about us. But I think it's important to show gratitude that they took a chance to call you, to show that client that you want to earn their work, not that they're lucky to get to talk to you. And then they, they also go through a funnel. Our goal when a potential new client comes in is to convert them, have a signed engagement letter within a week. So we have email and text communication over that first week uh, with an effort to get them on board. After that, then they, whatever type of work it is, it's always real estate transactions, but buyer or seller, they'll funnel into a different pipeline within that same CRM. We don't use a law practice management system. It's all through the CRM to funnel them through specific stages where we have email snippets built out to where my entire team can run transactions and only bring me in when the matter gets complicated or there's an actual legal question to answer. My invested time with clients on these flat fee transactions is probably a 20 minute meeting at the end of the process because my entire team takes care of it from intake until closing. I love the work that you've done on that. That's incredible. I, I think that if people just listen to that part of the episode and follow your advice on that, I think that uh, it's, it's a lot of valuable information there. But let's talk about what sort of brings you onto the episode or on the podcast. What is the topic that you brought up? And, and let's, let's dig into it. All right. So we have hired before legal assistant and paralegal, and we hire on core values first. I feel like I can teach. I've done every job within our firm, so I can teach anybody the skills to do that job. But it, you, there's a certain caliber and quality of person we want to join our team. And we've been successful in that in our first two hire, external hires, non-family member hires. It's time, and I've been thinking about this for over a year, to hire an associate. And again, for the third time in a row now, I've got this pit in my stomach. Can I afford it? Is it the right time to do it? And if we're going to do it, I need to decide how we're going to compensate that associate. What, what are the right ways to bring on and pay an associate when it's always going to feel uncomfortable to make additional financial commitments? It's important to me whenever I make a promise to another family that we know we can keep that promise indefinitely. I don't want to make a promise that we're not prepared to keep. So one of the things that we talked about or that you raised and, and what piqued my interest was whether or not you should have that associate plan on bringing in business of their own. And so before we get to that, though, I want to I just want to touch on my thoughts as far as the indefinite plan of paying them. I mean, I appreciate that loyalty in advance before you hire someone. But at the same time, what if you'd hired someone the 31st day before you lost that 85% client, right? So you never know. So I think that, you know, wanting it to work, wanting to do everything to make it work and being loyal to them and trying to set them up for success and having in your heart the intention of if I make this offer that it's going to work, I think that's different than working with your spouse in lots of ways. But 
I don't think you have to have that same level of loyalty just because you never know what's going to happen. I think that's fair. And that's fortunately to date, I haven't had to make a decision like that. I'm realistic in understanding that'll happen at some point if I grow this firm the way I see it growing. And that's the reality of running a business. So just real quick, can you clarify like how many cases are coming in and then are they flat fee? I would imagine they're flat fee and, and it's probably, I would imagine a little bit of a higher volume. So here's the trick and where the anxiety comes from. And we touched on this in my mastermind last week. We have two more referral sources, one very large one in the queue, ready to go that have committed, but the orders haven't started coming in. They're, they're launching the program February 10th and today's February 2nd. So it's uncomfortable because we don't have the work right now to make an offer, so to speak, until I see the orders start to come in. I know we have the verbal commitment and I have no reason to doubt that that new referral source is coming in. The referral source is going to be a 60% uh, increase in revenue, annual revenue, if they come in as promised. So I'm, I was willing, what I shared at Mastermind is I was willing to be the sacrificial lamb for a period of time to be overburdened with work, to get our financial picture to a place where I'm comfortable. But then I was quickly told that's uh, short-sighted. And if I want to bring on an associate in three months, I need to start the hiring process now or earlier than now. So that's probably a little more background to help fill in this picture. It's that big referral source that's coming that hasn't shown up yet, but I want to be prepared for it. So do you have enough work now though? And, I, and I'm not sure if I'm 100% clear on this. Do you have enough work now to feed that attorney the, if you brought on a new one? No, I can handle everything that's coming in right now today. That's a different answer. It is a different answer. Yeah. Just because you can do it doesn't mean that an associate couldn't do it and you could go out and find 20 other referral sources, spend your time doing that if that's what you want to do. In the last six months, I've been, for the first time we've started marketing, I've started doing business development and presentations at conferences. And that's been a lot of fun. These business development conversations, I think is my highest value, not in doing the reading the abstracts and doing the title commitments. I think getting to the place where I'm financially comfortable to transition in more in that direction, I think that's just a scary moment. I'm going to have to swallow my fear and make that step. And in real estate transactions, winter is slower. It's starting to pick up. I think that would be an easier fear to swallow in March when I see all this stuff in the queue as opposed to today when it's always slow this time of year. Follow up with that though. <laughs> yeah. Because you are beating around the bush. Could you pull a trigger today and hire someone and be able to afford it for that person uh, and, and then free up your time to do the other work? So do you have the capability of doing that now? Financially, I don't want to pay another attorney and myself today to do the work that's being done today. I don't feel comfortable today to make that commitment. Jim, I'll let you take a shot at it. <laughs> so, I understand that. I understand. Where does that come from? Where does that... I mean, I'm probably the opposite of you, Jeremy. So like, I'd be hiring this person even without the 60% increase coming down the pike. I'm probably way too optimistic. My wife would tell you that I am, right? So, but with this train coming of future work, and as you said, you have no reason to think it's not going to come. It's going to take you six, eight weeks to hire somebody. So I guess when I was listening to you, in my mind, when someone's in that boat you're in right now, and you said you were willing to be the sacrificial lamb and do a little bit of extra work to be extra busy for a while. When you said that, it was an interesting thing to hear. But also, I, I, I said to myself, well, it seems like when you're in that position that Jeremy's in, you either have to be ready to 
spend money or work more, one or the other. Because if more work's about to come, one of those two things has to happen. You either need to hire someone and maybe make a little bit less for a while, or you're going to have to do some more work and do it yourself. I'm always trying to find other people to do my work. And if you think that in the long run, you're going to have three attorneys working for you, then I would just rather start that process sooner rather than later and get that train moving because you're going to need that momentum. And you've got a great thing coming of this new client that's going to you know, be a big chunk of revenue for you. That's just how I would handle it. But, but not everybody's like me. Last piece of background, and Tyson heard this last week. We went to pro- we switched over to profit first, say five months ago, and I to be as transparent as possible to sh- help as many people as possible today. Prior to that, I was probably bleeding the firm dry with member distributions and being unstructured in that approach. And I love the consistency and the format or formula that Profit First has given us, but we haven't reached our target percentages yet. And I feel like we need to be busy for a short period of time to get those target percentages on operating expenses and owner's compensation, everything to where they need to be. That's probably where my discomfort comes from. And I watched some of the Associate Academy videos this week and looking at an associate hire as a law firm or lawyer extender and the opportunity to actually be able to create more revenue for my firm will probably help us reach those target percentages faster. And I just probably just need to make the move. And I've got a candidate actually, which we can get into also prior to high, uh, posting a job posting. All right. So I'm a little, little hesitant to suggest this because I've never done this, but I wonder what your thoughts on me talk this through. What are your thoughts on making that offer, but making it with, with being pretty open about it saying, Hey, I'm offering this to you on the basis that we are expecting that this big client's going to come in in this business. Yeah, Jim's Jim shaking his head. Well, so this gets to the ultimate issue that I want to talk to Jeremy about and what I really... Because I, I, I think being open about it is important, right? But I, what I also wouldn't want to say is like, hey, yeah, hire the person. And then in two months, you got to fire the person because you don't have the business. So I'm curious, like, okay, Jim, what, like, where were you going with that? Because I'm... Well, I'm this, so this is what piqued my interest when Jeremy texted me the question. And that is this. And Jeremy's question was about, should I expect an associate to bring in business of their own, right? And so, to me, this is a question that I used to talk to my father about all the time. So, my father was sort of my role model. He didn't finish high school, but he became the head of marketing at an architectural engineering firm. And then he left that architectural engineering firm and started a new one with an architect. And they grew that to 150 people and they had offices in other cities just like I do. They grew to 150 people. And I would say, Dad, you know, you got that team in Philadelphia. Aren't you worried about them taking the office over and just cutting you guys out? And he said, Jimmy, you have to understand something. I said, what, Dad? He said, they're not like us. They're not like us. So, associates don't want to be told, oh, it's a shaky situation. I don't know if the 60% business is going to come through. Oh, hey, we want you to bring in business because we're not sure. What associates want and what most employees want is stability and the sure thing. And they're not entrepreneurs, right? They're not thinking like entrepreneurs. They want to clock in, clock out. They want to come to their job. They want stability. Now, there are some associates that do think entrepreneurial, but Ryan McKean can tell you and others can tell you that those people tend to leave, right? Like, so if if they're inclined that way, so I think you want to maximize the power of them wanting a sure thing. And you don't want to do anything to de-emphasize the stability of the firm. And I think if you start off, I, I agree with transparency, 
But that's part of the burden of ownership is taking on that burden of holding that responsibility that the 60% might not come. But Jeremy, I am 100% sure that if on a dime, you can go from having one client to 20 and you've got 21 coming and number 21 is as big as 18 or 17 of the ones you already have. I have every confidence that if you gave that associate the work from this, the new company, the new client and the work that you are doing yourself, then like you said, you're going to be doing your highest value work and bringing in more business. I think the sky's the limit. The Zapathon is back. If you're new around here, the Zapathon is the OG automation workshop. At this next exclusive guild event, we're partnering up with Maximum Lawyer's good friend, Kelsey Bratcher, to bring you a day and a half automation workshop. The idea of automation is simple, right? Identify a repeatable pattern of tasks and then use technology so that business process can happen without you. But setting up that technology can be daunting, time consuming, and even have a steep learning curve. Join us in person and you'll create automations on site that will start working for you before you even leave Austin. Join the guild today and grab your ticket at maxlawevents.com. I think I agree. And it's just, it's getting over that pit in my stomach again that I, I got over with the first two hires. And I, those first two hires I make, I think, I, I don't know if I have enough work for them and I fill them up right away and they're the best decisions I ever made. And it's, it's just the same cycle I've gone through twice before, but it feels bigger because it's a, the first attorney hire other than myself. What does your wife say? That's interesting. <laughs> I came back from Guild and she's helped me move this forward as far as what we did is this one potential candidate we've been talking to about three months on other business development concepts. We're working on getting PDF abstracts across the state and he's helped us do, engage that because he's a former abstractor. I put a question in front of him said, are you, are you interested in becoming a contract attorney for us and helping on a part-time basis or are you more interested in becoming a full-time team member? We've worked, We've met twice before and had detailed conversations and he meets our core values. And he responded back saying he's interested in being a full-time team member. So now it's time to put him in that funnel or process of what it looks like to decide if he's the right candidate for this position. I've got, I still got to put him in front of my team and we've got to go through the, our regular hiring process. I don't want to bypass just because of a gut feeling our hiring process and the decision-making or decision matrix we have to go through to make sure he's the right fit. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. I think that Never rush the hiring process. I've done it. Jim's done it. It's a bad mistake. I, I think Jim's done it. But real quick, answer this question really quick, and then I'll, I'm ask a follow up. What's the turnaround time when it comes to getting money from one of these clients? It's roughly thirty to forty five days. Okay, so it's, a, it's a, we get paid to close them. Okay, like if it were me, if I were you, like okay, I would be focusing all my time because I can't go out and generate car crashes. I can't do it, right? But if I could, you, you better believe I would. So if I were you. And hiring this person is going to be, it's going to put some pressure on you. And I think it's going to be valuable pressure. Hire the person. You spend all your damn time driving around that state, generating business. Like that's your job now. You're, you're going to generate that business. And like, I would call that, that client that you have a whale, right? That's probably a whale. And maybe not all of them are going to be whales, but you're going to have some pretty damn big fish that you can, you can attract and you can target. And it sounds like a lot of your business might be a lot of those lunches and coffees that you need to have and have shaking hands and all that. I would be driving around the state trying to set up that business if I were you. I, I think that there's a lot of value in that. I have to do that because my biggest flaw as a business owner to date has been becoming content with whatever our position is at that time. And it would be really easy to be content right now with this new whale coming in or even with one associate hire. I need to keep my foot on the pedal 
so that the 2019 mistake never happens again. Yeah, because you have a track record of it, right? Yes. Right. You got to get past that because that was my when you first mentioned it. I'm thinking like this is the same problem, right? <laughs> like the, you're you're putting yourself in the same situation, and you've got to find a way to put up bumpers to put put a wall around yourself, put a moat around the firm to prevent that from happening again. I subconsciously allow my own capacity to limit our business development activities, and that's I recognize that now, and I can't let it continue to happen. I think that's a great lesson from the episode. I mean, just the reliance that I'm sure there's a lot of lawyers listening that are too reliant on one client or referral source. Um, I've seen it time and time again. There was a lawyer in our office who was beholden to a senior partner for all of his business and that senior partner abused the crap out of him. So, you know, anytime you're out of whack, you know, and not having enough clients, it's going to set yourself up for problems. So I think, I think that's a great insight. And I think that no one's going to know that better than you. Like you've learned that lesson. I don't, I'm not worried about this new client coming in and giving you 60% of the business because you're going to go out and get 10 more. That's why. That's how you beat that back. I agree a thousand percent. We've done a lot of work over the last two years to be different and humbly better than every other law firm in the state. And now we just have to get that message out so we can help more people in Iowa. So we've we've talked a lot about this associate. So let's let's talk a little bit about I mean, what are you gonna do about it, right? So let's talk about the hiring process and getting this person in, in the seat and, and actually uh, getting them doing the work. And what needs to take place over the next few months for you to successfully hire this person and, and get them up to speed so you can go out and do the valuable work? So this first candidate, uh, we need to put them in front of the team without me in the room to allow the team to evaluate their core values. And I believe they fit the core values, but I need to get feedback from the team. At least that's what I've, I've done in the past. And then we need to... I need to draw out that process for an associate or compare it to my past processes for the paralegal and legal system. But the, I have to write out what those next steps are to put them through this funnel or hiring process to for us both to get to a decision where it's good for both the associate and for the firm. That's great. That's great. I do want to step back just real quick and hear from Tyson, his thoughts on lawyers who expect associates to bring in business. Oh yeah. I guess we kind of, we kind of buried the lead there. Uh, I do think you're right, Jim, that if you hire people with the mindset, okay, I expect you to bring in a big bulk of the business. I think that you're setting yourself up for failure because those are generally the people that are very entrepreneurial and they're the ones that are really kind of setting it up so they can start their own shop. And there's some value in having those people if you want. But I think for longevity, I think Jim's right. I think you need to be looking for people that are a little bit more stable. But with that in mind, I think that you can build in tools to help it make it easier for people to refer cases to them or refer matters to them. That was the whole point of our meeting yesterday, our training yesterday at the firm about obtaining referrals is making it easier for for our employees to get referrals and, and and creating that referral culture. So I think that you could you could do this in other ways where you're not saying, hey, you must bring in X number of, of cases every single month. But I, I think that you can build that referral culture inside of your firm and that would that lets clients know, yeah, people refer us cases. And I, I think that there's some value to that. But I do think it is a dangerous proposition, Jim, that if you if you make that like one of the main KPIs, you're definitely setting yourself up for failure, especially if based on your type of business. Let's say that your associate brings in a whale, okay? That they bring in a whale. What's to stop them from just saying, bye, I'm going to go take this whale over here. That's plenty of money for me. 
because I'm going to get plenty of business. And I don't like to operate under that fear mindset, but you need to have enough of those whales, enough of those clients that that's not going to hurt you if it does happen. I agree. I I don't think I need to expect a new associate to bring in business because that's my highest value. So this will free me up to go do more of that. I'm confident in that now. I I do think we need to have that open conversation though about kind of what we were talking about earlier today, Jim, but employees are like they're after the pan, after the pandemic, they've kind of had that reset where they don't feel as great about going and working in someone else's office and making making money for someone else. So I do think that that we do kind of have to have that conversation about you know still incentivizing your employees for making money for bringing in cases. That's something I I, I do think you need to consider because people aren't all about just working in someone else's office anymore. There's a lot of people that are starting new firms and new businesses because they're kind of sick of of being in the grind. I think it's all about what the associate's focus is going to be. Obviously, if you want to pay referral fees to attorneys who bring in a little bit of business, that's great. But if you want them out there beating the bushes and signing up clients, that just doesn't do you much good in the long run. I want them doing the legal work to free me up to go beat the bushes and shake hands and do presentations. Yep. How are you feeling now, Jeremy? Like Now that we've talked it through a little bit, what are your thoughts? Like, What's on your mind? I am feeling confident that I need to outline what the hiring process is going to be for this associate, what their next steps are going to be so that I can get an email back to him and say, here's the process we're going to go through. What is your desired timeline to be able to leave? Because he's got the practices of his own. It's very in its baby steps. I mean, he's only reopened about six months ago, but what does his transition look like? And what does our transition look like to be get him ready to work with us? And I've got to draw that out so that I can take him through a defined process that feels really good and comfortable to him. So he, so we present ourselves as organized and focused and capable of giving him the support that he needs to be successful in the practice of law. I would spend a little bit of time, Jeremy, now, right now, I would build two or three hours into my week of pretending that the 60% client doesn't come because you're going to feel more comfortable if you're bringing in more business. So even now, just start making that part of your routine so that you're not overly reliant on the client that may or may not come and that you're just that's going to help you feel better and more secure in this decision you're about to take. I like that a lot. Yeah. Focus time every week and keeping that pedal to the metal, so to speak, and keep growing and looking for additional referral sources. That's got to be an every week activity, not a when the, when the plane flies by type thing. Well runs dry. Yep. All right, Jeremy, hopefully uh, you got some good information from this. I, I really appreciate you being vulnerable too, because I think there, there's some valuable lessons in here that for, for new law firm owners and current law firm owners that that's going to really help them out. But uh, we do need to wrap things up. Before I do, I want to remind everyone to join us in the Facebook group. Just a lot of great activity every single day. If you want a more high-level conversation with people like Jeremy, go to maxlawguild.com. And if you get value from these podcasts uh, and from the Facebook group, if you'll leave us a five-star review, we would so much appreciate it because it helps spread our love to other law firm owners that are in need. Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? My hack of the week comes from a friend of the show, Joey Vitale. It's a book by a guy named Alex Benayan called The Third Door. It's about this crazy college kid who decided that he wanted to sort of redo Think and Grow Rich, but by interviewing current entrepreneurs like Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and all this stuff. And this is like a 20-year-old kid. He went on prices Right and he won on prices Right. And then he used the proceeds to sort of start this project. The story is really fun. The kid's sort of crazy and the, and the adventures that he had with different 
people that you know of, it's sort of eye opening. And, and I immediately bought it for my 20 year old son and he's enjoying it. So it's a fun read. It's called The Third Door. Lots of good little lessons in there. I love it. That's cool. I will check that out. Jeremy, you know the routine. Do you have a tip or a hack for us? I do. Real quick, my willingness to be vulnerable today comes directly from my interaction with other guild members. Everyone's willingness to share is a huge opportunity to learn and it's been tremendous from my growth as a business owner over the last six months since joining. My tip of the week is a book. It's called The Power of One More by Ed Milet. It is a mindset book. Whether you're trying to make a change in your life, whether you're going through something difficult when you, you're thinking about giving up, just don't focus on the too far in the future. Focus on what you can do today to keep going. So if you're struggling with your firm, don't quit today is a decision. If you're trying to quit drinking, don't have a drink today. If you want to eat more healthy or exercise, what do you do today to succeed in that goal? Just one day at a time, one thing at a time, one personal relationship at a time. And I have fallen back on that several times over the last year and it's been really helpful. Is that a new book? Came out in the last year. Uh, okay. I've not heard of it. So I'll have to check that one. I hadn't heard of it either. Jeremy mentioned it and I just got an email from Andy Frisella and Ed Milet about this coaching oh, thing yeah. that they have. So that's really funny. Holy hell. That's crazy. Looks um, fantastic. What a coincidence. My tip of the week is for law firm owners that want to build a, a culture of learning in your firm. And something that has sort of naturally popped up in our firm is a book club. And so we've started a book club and our first book that we read, I picked the first book and I said it could not be a fiction book and it had to be nonfiction and be sort of like self-help. And so I chose Becoming Bulletproof, which is a fantastic book if you've not read it. And the book club has been so well received. And so we, what we did is we bought the book for everybody. If they wanted an audio book, we got them an audio book. If they wanted a, a, a Kindle book, we got them a Kindle book. If they wanted a physical one, I used the physical one. We got everyone a physical book and it was really well received. And then it was funny when we first launched ours, I noticed that Ryan, Ryan may have had his for a while, Ryan McKean. I don't know when he started his, but I noticed that they have one. He started with a fiction book. I'm letting people vote on the next book. So we're going to read a book a month. It's pretty exciting. And it's just, it's kind of cool hearing people talk about it. And we had a little book club meeting. It was a lot of fun. So I, I recommend doing that. Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on, man. Really, really appreciate it. Lots of fun talking to you. Thank you guys both for uh, sharing your expertise and wisdom with me and listening to me. It's super helpful. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your host and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.